Hello, I'm Joanne Diaz. And I'm Abram Vanningen. And this is Poetry for All. In this podcast, we read a poem, discuss it, learn from it, and then read it one more time. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Anne Hudson. Anne is the author of two collections of poetry. The first is The Armillary Sphere, which was the winner of the Hollis Summers Poetry Prize, and Glow, which was published by Next Page Press just last year. Anne serves as a senior editor for Rhino Magazine, and she teaches at the Chiaravalle Montessori School in Evanston, Illinois. Listeners might recall that in a previous episode of Poetry for All, we spoke with Laura Van Proyen, and I mentioned that I am in a writing group with Laura, and uh, Anne is also a member of that group. We have been writing and revising together for many years, and so this episode is particularly meaningful for me. Welcome, Anne. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Would you do us the honor of reading your poem titled Soap? I'd be happy to. Soap. Either no one's done their homework or someone's sense of irony runs deep. This bar of soap stamped radium stops me in my tracks. In its defense, this museum gift shop has a whole basket of soaps emblazoned with the names, numbers, and symbols of all the elements. I wave off the urge to set out the soaps on the tile floor in a periodic table, focusing instead on picking all the radiums out of the basket, each one with a yellow sticker enthusing glows in the dark, though these soaps charge up with sunlight or with lamplight. They radiate what they collect. They don't emit. But here in the Museum of Science and Industry, This soap is exactly where science and industry intersect, where Marie Curie's radium painstakingly distilled from tons of soot black uranium ore in the courtyard outside the shed she and Pierre had been granted as a shabby workspace, meets the radium laced paint that rows and rows and rows of women brushed onto watch faces so the numbers would glow the radium slowly poisoning their bones, while factory scientists safeguarded themselves behind protective shields. Here is science and industry, and a generous measure of vanity and foolishness once the radium craze took hold a hundred years ago, when elixirs and creams and tonics infused with radium promised youth, vitality, brilliance, and shine. In the end, I buy a single bar. It's hypoallergenic and is not tested on animals. It is handcrafted in the USA. Here it sits under my desk lamp, charging. It chants to me, ra, 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 still after all this time, promising absolution. So good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for reading that. I love hearing you read your work aloud. Um, You know, this past year, especially, I mean, all the time, but especially this past year, I've been thinking a lot about quality of attention. And I've been reading a lot of articles and psychological studies that show that just by taking a photograph of something or someone can imbue 
like an ordinary object or landscape or person with meaning, so that the subject of the photo is then a changed thing just by virtue of being in that photo. And I think that's why I asked if we could talk about this poem, because the poetic speaker in this poem is obsessed with this bar of soap (laughs) with the uh, RA for radium on it, and all it is is an ordinary souvenir at a museum gift shop, right? Uh, But that ordinary object connects the poetic speaker to a whole web of meaning, of place, of history, of technology, of our notions of progress and beauty. And I just, I love this poem. I love the project of the book. And I just, uh, it's so intriguing to me. Yeah, and maybe, Anne, if you could just fill listeners in about the project of the book, because I think this poem does not stand alone. The the whole book is about radium, Marie Curie, uh, the process of making these things glow, these watches glow. Um, radiation poisoning through the process. So the the science and industry that you talk about in the middle of this poem is really spread throughout all of the poems of the book. And it's a, it's a very much a project um, of poems based upon a certain research question. I stumbled on it completely by accident. I was actually researching some family history in the area of Ottawa, Illinois. And Ottawa is the one of the sites of a, a dial painting factory uh, where women would paint the faces of the watches with radium-laced paint that would glow in the dark. And the women, many of them, started to get very sick and died terrible, terrible deaths. And their illnesses and death were recorded in the papers even as the people running the factories denied any risk to their health. And uh, a statue to some of these radium girls is in Ottawa, Illinois, and I walked past it. And that's how the project came to me. I didn't intend to write a single poem, much less a chapbook worth of poems. You start with a really strong... Well, first of all, you start with a very simple title, uh, soap, which is the most uh, domestic, seemingly benign, everyday object you could possibly imagine. But then the first couple lines of the poem really leap out at me. Either no one's done their homework or someone's sense of irony runs deep. This poem unfolds in a very narrative sort of st- uh, storytelling kind of way but it also has a really strong beat, right? So you can hear it in that second line, or someone's sense of irony runs deep. That's a really good iambic pentameter line, you know? And it's got that really nice measure to it that makes the insight or awareness feel very deliberate to me. Yeah, I'm I'm super curious about... So this is... I, I looked at a couple other poems in the book as well, and uh, the ones I saw had uh, the same kind of structure of this couplet, uh, Each stanza is two lines long, and uh, it runs down the page that way. And I'm just curious to hear from you how you found yourself into that structure, how you found yourself into that form. Well, I I think it has a lot to do with what Joanne was just pointing out, the double nature, the tension between productivity on one hand and destruction on the other, The, the... the beautiful nature of radium and its 
volatility, the uh, drive toward finding more of it versus trying to contain it. Mm. And there was something rhythmically that, and I'm not exactly sure why, I'm not sure I can pinpoint uh, precisely why, that, that drove these lines longer. And perhaps it was because of the the fact that this this project was anchored by research was driving the lines a little bit longer. And on the page, they needed that kind of aeration. They needed a kind of pause um, because otherwise they they got too heavy. Um, and and I, I needed those couplets to to help drive that kind of rhythm down the page without making them leaden. Yeah, and and also I'm thinking about again early on in the poem some of the I think the line breaks become incre- and stanza breaks become incredibly important. Look at some of those line breaks, right? Um this bar of soap stamped radium line break stops me in my tracks. That line break feels like a little cliff, right? And you have this openness, this open space after the word radium and then the reader feels just like the poetic speaker does, where it's like, wait, radium? <laughs> Stops me <laughs> in my tracks, right? And then the next line, in its defense, line break, this museum gift shop has a whole basket, line break, of soaps emblazoned with the names, numbers, and symbols of all the elements. Mm-hmm. And I love that we go in the first sentence from an either or, either this is ignorance or its irony (laughs) that we have these bars of soap and then the second sentence says in its defense we have a whole basket of these soaps so it clearly can't be folly clearly this is i i love that there's a sort of um concession or acknowledgement being made in the second sentence but that the line breaks help me understand that concession you know this part did literally happen i i was walking through the gift shop of the Museum of Science and Industry here in Chicago. And there was a beautiful basket uh, sort of display of these soaps. And there was a radium soap right on top. And I just thought, this is an amazing, it literalizes what I have been thinking about for these many months. In the poem, the speaker says, I wave off the urge to set out the soaps on the tile floor in a periodic table focusing instead on picking all the radiums out of the basket, each one with a yellow sticker, enthusing glows in the dark. Though these soaps charge up with sunlight or with lamplight, they radiate what they collect. They don't emit. The speaker is waving off the urge to arrange the soaps on the tile floor of the gift shop in a periodic (laughs) table, which would be a kind of obsessive act of classification, but the speaker then chooses instead to pick each of the radium soaps out of the basket, which is another kind of obsession. And I feel like this teaches me a lot about poetry, actually, right? Like figuring out um, how to arrange things, which shapes to take, and how deep to dive. The power of these soaps are actually located in their resonance, right? Right. Well, on the one hand, I suppose they are powerful as soaps themselves. They, can, they, they have an inherent usefulness, a literalness in the world. 
But their power for the speaker of this poem, at least, is in what they evoke. Joanne will know from previous recordings that I find uh, every poem to be about poetry itself. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. But anyway, so when I see a line like that, which I love, I love, they radiate what they collect, they don't emit. What I see in that line is is an accounting of research-based poetry. That, that is, the, the, this kind of poetry that does all of this heavy work of research, uh, reading, discovering the history of radium, Marie Curie, radium girls, all this stuff, and then putting it together in this powerful and brief way so that the poem, in a certain sense, radiates what has been collected without necessarily emitting I think I think one of the things that poetry allowed me to do with this material is to to tesseract with it, right? To to not feel like I had to then trot out uh, or support with research or arguments the my entire line of thinking. Mm-hmm. There are sort of three parties in this poem. There's the party that created the soap. Uh, there's the party that is the poetic speaker that is marveling at these commodified objects in a museum gift shop. And then there's Marie Curie. And um, it interests me that you use the ad- the adverb painstakingly to describe um, how she uh, discovered this element, right? So, but here, in the Museum of Science and Industry, this soap is exactly where science and industry intersect, where Marie Curie's radium painstakingly distilled from tons of soot-black uranium ore in the courtyard outside the shed she and Pierre had been granted as a shabby workspace meets the radium-laced paint that rows and rows and rows of women brushed onto watch faces so the numbers would glow the radium slowly poisoning their bones, while factory scientists safeguarded themselves behind protective shields. What an amazing passage this is in the poem, because um, the care that Marie Curie took to um, discover uh, radium is occurring in this shabby workspace, which suggests a lack of care. And then... There's enormous amounts of care. There's a fourth party, the women, the rows and rows and rows of women. It's not just a bunch. It's rows and rows and rows of them. And that repetition of rows, it opens the mouth and it lengthens the amount of time that we have to think about the rows onto watch faces so that the numbers would glow the radium slowly poisoning their bones, the assonance or those vowel sounds, that long O sound that you're repeating in each of these lines to really make us think about how insidious this element is in the bodies of these women. And then there's care in how the factory scientists safeguard themselves but don't safeguard the women. So I feel like there's a lot of zigging and zagging in this long sentence that really amplifies what's at stake in the poem. I love that. And can I just pick up on the sounds of the poem? Because as there's a kind of tension built into the couplet structure, there's a kind of tension built into the two main sounds of the poem. One is the long A of radium, and the other is the long O of glow. 
And so you get a lot of these long A sounds. Radium, of course, is the word repeated throughout radium, radiate, radium, painstakingly, radium laced paint, safeguarded, radium craze. Uh, you get this long A that's on the one hand all linked to the radium. And then you get this O that, as, as Joanne was pointing out, just just lasts um, as a sound. It goes on and on. And, and of course, so do the effects of radium. And then the one other thing I noticed about the sounds and the use of sounds in this poem to kind of make the points of this poem is that at the moments where we're kind of caught up short uh, by how people are not taking this seriously or taking it seriously for themselves but not for others, you've got these sounds that kind of harshly contrast with those two main sounds that we've got. And so when we get to the people who are protecting themselves, we suddenly get this word shields. And when we get to the people who are trying to, to, to sell radium as, as great for everybody, we get this word shine, shields and shine. And they kind of strike the ear because they're not that long A sound. They're not that long O sound. And they come at the very ends of these sentences. And so you get, while factory scientists safeguarded themselves behind protective shields. It's short. It's sharp. Uh, and then you get this other one with radium promised youth, vitality, brilliance and shine. Uh, and so the sounds are actually doing a lot of work in this poem, which I love. Can we talk about that last couplet and the last sort of surprise ending? I, I think a lot of poems, uh, a lot of really great poems like this one, end with a kind of surprise. And absolution is a word that comes almost out of nowhere in this poem. And so I'm just I'm just sort of curious how you arrived at that ending and what, and what you were uh, hoping to achieve with that sort of surprise at the end. Did it surprise you when you came to this end? It did. I was really thinking about the idea of of cleansing oneself, right? And and how thoroughly one can how we wash our hands of this, right? How we absolve ourselves of guilt or responsibility. You know, can soap do that? Can can speaking this kind of history do that? The poems radiate for me and challenge me to think about many other kinds of scientific discoveries that have promised so much and have also created so much harm. You know, like I feel like the poems are in and of themselves contained and amazing, but they do point outside of themselves. And I, I think that's one of the things I like so much about them. Many years ago, there's a contemporary poet, Teresa Leo. She wrote a beautiful essay. It was called Ark, A Quest. And um, she was meditating on what it took for her to put together her first collection of poetry. And for many years, she labored under the assumption that a book of poetry had to have some kind of narrative arc, like A-R-C, some kind of shape or through line that would give it a sense of uh, unity and cohesion. Um, but then she realized she didn't want to create an arc, A-R-C. She wanted to create an arc, like Noah's Ark. Mm. <laughs> she wanted to get all the animals in the boat. <laughs> and for me, that's the power, uh, the potential power of narrative poetry. I mean, just to emphasize the point, this is a, a short poem across two pages mm. uh, where we begin uh, by wandering through a gift shop in the Museum of Science and Industry. We take a trip to Marie Curie's uh, shabby workspace in, in, with Pierre. Mm -hmm. We hear about radium girls in Ottawa, Illinois. 
we see a bit about the history of the radium craze in America and the science behind it. And then we end back in that gift shop with that bar of soap now on a desk that's chanting rah, rah, rah and promising absolution. And that's all in the space of two pages, yeah. right? So this is a journey. Yeah. <laughs> this is an arc in that, in that you know, an arc with the K in the sense that we've, we're packing a lot in here. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the ability of poetry to make those leaps and to keep the reader along for the ride as those leaps are taken, I think is partly what makes it so fascinating and so wonderful. Would you be willing, Anne, to, to read this poem for us again? I'd be happy to. Soap. Either no one's done their homework or someone's sense of irony runs deep. This bar of soap stamped radium stops me in my tracks. In its defense, this museum gift shop has a whole basket of soaps emblazoned with the names, numbers, and symbols of all the elements. I wave off the urge to set out the soaps on the tile floor in a periodic table, focusing instead on picking all the radiums out of the basket, each one with a yellow sticker enthusing glows in the dark, though these soaps charge up with sunlight or with lamplight. They radiate what they collect. They don't emit. But here in the Museum of Science and Industry, this soap is exactly where science and industry intersect, where Marie Curie's radium, painstakingly distilled from tons of soot-black uranium ore in the courtyard outside the shed she and Pierre had been granted as a shabby workspace, meets the radium-laced paint that rows and rows and rows of women brushed onto watch faces so the numbers would glow, the radium slowly poisoning their bones while factory scientists safeguarded themselves behind protective shields. Here is science and industry and a generous measure of vanity and foolishness once the radium craze took hold a hundred years ago when elixirs and creams and tonics infused with radium promised youth, vitality, brilliance, and shine. In the end, I buy a single bar. It's hypoallergenic and is not tested on animals. It is handcrafted in the USA. Here it sits under my desk lamp, charging. It chants to me, ra, 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 still, after all this time, promising absolution. Mm, so good. I love it. Thank you, Anne. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. To learn more about Anne's poetry, you can visit her website, annehudson.net, and you can buy a copy of her book, Glow, at nextpagepress.com. And to learn more about the Poetry for All podcast, Please visit poetryforall.fireside.fm. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening.